Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today's episode is presented by Lloyd's Banking Group. Everyone deserves a safe place to call home. That's why Lloyd's Banking Group has championed the social housing sector for decades, supporting more than 340 housing associations across the UK. The choice couldn't be more stark. The stakes couldn't be higher. This is the single most important election in the history of our country. You're listening to our special US election series, Campaign Confidential. In America, it always comes back to the courts. It may be an election, but this week Americans are both in court, with lawsuits up and down the country about how voting should happen, and talking about court, with the confirmation hearing of Judge Amy Coney Barrett, President Trump's nominee to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. I'm honored and humbled to appear before you today as a nominee for Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. I thank the President... If confirmed as expected, one of Coney Barrett's first cases could be determining the outcome of the 2020 presidential election, similar to what happened after the 2000 election. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer is so worried about that, he's calling on Coney Barrett to recuse herself. President Trump has said that he needs to put her on the high court to possibly help him win re-election in suits that would come before the court after November 3rd. With these serious conflicts, Judge Barrett should immediately do the bare minimum and pledge to recuse herself from the decisions involved... The outcome of the upcoming elections is not only uncertain in terms of who will win, but how they'll win. Universal mail-in ballots is going to be a great embarrassment to our country. This is going to be a fraud like you've never seen. Now, mail ballots, they cheat, okay? It means fraud. It means a lot of things that we won't get into. I'm not going to say which party does it, but thousands of votes are gathered and they come in and they're dumped in a location. And then all of a sudden you lose elections that you think you're going to win. I won't stand for it. As of Monday, more than 10 million ballots have been received by election officials in the 30 states that have made data available. That's mostly because of the pandemic, which led 25 of those states to expand access to mail voting. And turnout in places like Wisconsin is already at 36% of the 2016 turnout. Officials are essentially running two elections now, the mail election and the in-person one. In most states, they'll be roughly equal size. For as much as we've heard President Trump question the validity of mail-in voting, he's now also warning Republican voters to keep an eye on in-person voting, too. Get out there and vote. And keep your eyes open if you see any shenanigans, which you probably will. Watch it. Be poll watchers when you go there. Watch all the thieving and stealing and robbing they do. I'm urging my supporters to go into the polls and watch very carefully. And I am urging... I am urging my people. I hope it's going to be a fair election. If it's a fair election, I am 100% on board. But if I see tens of thousands of ballots being manipulated, I can't go along with that. It's a fraught issue, 
one person's election observation is another person's vote suppression. But there's a lot to monitor. Early voting lines have already stretched beyond 10 hours in some cases, and America has a long history of occasional electoral violence and intimidation. From anti-immigrant street clashes in the 19th century to the blocking of black voters up until the 1960s in the South. A poll watch army was mobilized as recently as 1981 in New Jersey. While violence itself is rare, the calm of recent decades has been the exception rather than the rule. I'm Ryan Heath, and in today's episode of Campaign Confidential, we're going to look into America's electoral system, the problems it's had, and the things you can expect as we head into Election Day and beyond. To try and solve many of these problems, people are turning to the courts. I had a Republican conservative lawyer tell me at one point that he thinks that there's a possibility of Bush v. Gore, that 2000 election case, in 14 different states. 2020 is already turning into the most litigated election in history, and Election Day is still three weeks away. Our first guest runs elections in the state of Colorado, and has been among those who have filed lawsuits in the lead-up to the election. Jenna Griswold, Colorado Secretary of State. Griswold filed a lawsuit against the United States Postal Service for sending millions of Coloradans misleading information. The case was settled in September after the Postal Service agreed to work with Griswold's office to remove inaccurate information and to work together on future communication to voters. I spoke to Griswold in September before the case was settled. Thank you so much for joining us, Secretary Griswold. Can you tell us a bit more about what is the role of a Secretary of State in the U.S. federal election? So the the role of Secretaries of State vary state by state. Um, But one of the key roles across the nation is overseeing elections. Uh, So I am the chief election officer for the state of Colorado. Elections are conducted at the county level. So my role is to provide oversight of the entire state and oversight of all those processes happening at the state level or at the county level, excuse me. And Colorado is one of five states that conduct elections by mail. Uh, Can you tell us a bit more about what motivated the switch back in 2013 to that mail voting system? Well, mail ballots are just incredibly secure and accessible. Um, And it increased participation rates in Colorado. So we saw a 9% increase of voter participation, evenly, by the way, among the parties. Um, But to share with you, it also increased community participation from communities of color. So we saw a 13% increase among Black voters, a 10% increase among Latino voters, and actually a 16% increase among younger people. And is that something that has continued to have bipartisan support in Colorado? The numbers sound very impressive, but the whole issue has obviously become a bit of a political football at the national level. So just interested to know what the what the local reaction has been. Absolutely. There is bipartisan support until this very day. But more importantly than just the political support is how voters act. In the last two out of three general elections, more Republicans used mail ballots, even with the option of early in-person voting and on election day in-person voting, than Democrats did. Uh, and we saw in our this year's statewide primary, it was on June 30th, a higher percentage of Republicans choose to use mail ballots than Democrats, um, which I just think is so important because it shows that even though the president is actively trying to undermine our elections, including direct attacks and lies about vote by mail, Uh, At least as of June 30th for our election, Republican voters still use mail ballots in Colorado in a really big way. 
What are the most common questions you're getting about the elections this year from the voters? One of the biggest questions is about the U.S. Postal Service. So we've been working not only with Coloradans who have questions, but also with uh, different postal workers to to understand what's happening in the post office and with our region. Uh, And our region is saying that there will be no slowdown. And I am fully confident uh, in our elections in Colorado this November. And have you had to make any tweaks to the system, you know, leaving aside the post office? Did you think, okay, this pandemic is unique. We had a good system, but here's what we're going to have to do to anticipate some future problems. Yes, absolutely. So first and foremost, I issued a set of emergency election rules to make sure that voting in person was as safe as possible. So those included making sure that uh, social distancing was respected in the polls, that election workers were using masks and other PPE, that in-person voting equipment was sanitized between each use. So we issued those rules, and then I issued a 32-page guidance for all the counties to be able to give them the support they need. We also launched uh, election judge recruitment. Uh, So in the United States, election judges play a crucial role. Uh, So in Colorado, they're the people greeting you if you go vote in person. They're overseeing the entire election process. They're collecting the mail ballots. They actually go in bipartisan teams to collect mail ballots. They're verifying signatures on the back of mail ballots. And there was concern in some of the other states uh, early on that there would be a lack of election judges because they tend to be 60 plus and maybe more concerned about COVID. So we worked to launch an election judge recruitment in Colorado uh, as the nation's youngest secretary of state. I also saw it as an opportunity to get a new generation of Americans excited about democracy and, and doing their part. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we recruited hundreds of election judges for the primaries. We didn't have any shortage. Uh, And we haven't even launched yet for uh, the general. And we've already recruited over 2000 judges. And I'm wondering, because you've got this great experience in Colorado with such a scaled up mail voting program, are you getting calls from colleagues in other states asking for advice on what they can do in the limited time period to, to catch up as much as they can to what you've been doing? Absolutely. So starting in March, um, I I started to lean in and actively work with secretaries of state across the nation. Uh, Colorado has the highest percentage of of eligible people registered to vote. We lead the nation when it comes to turnout. We're always number one or number two. uh, And we are a mail ballot state. So I started working across the nation and our elections division uh, has shared best practices and tips And I will tell you, the Colorado election model works. Uh, It works against a a president trying to sabotage an election. It works against a postmaster general uh, potentially trying to uh, attack the post office because we have all these contingencies built in that will enable us to to weather pandemics to presidents. And then, of course, as, as we move forward, we're working on all different topics with different states, whether it's signature cure to when to send out your ballots. Uh, so we really want to, to help the nation expand Colorado's election model. Mm-hmm. And one of the other, don't want to call it a question, but it's a theme that has started to pop up more and more. And it is how to manage election night and the post-voting part of the cycle and preparing people for the idea that the results may not be known straight away. When do you expect to be able to announce the results? And, and do you have particular plans in place to be really transparent during all of those hours and days after the voting closes? Absolutely, when it comes to transparency. 
Um, but I, I do think it's important to underline that the president is trying to undermine our elections in various ways, whether it's forcing people to go into crowded polling locations and threaten to send law enforcement, which is a tactic straight out of the Jim Crow cell, uh, to attacking vote by mail, to trying to uh, attack the Postal Service so vote by mail does not work, which he has told us that was his intent, to all the lawsuits on drop boxes, which are the alternative of returning a mail ballot through the post office. This president is willing to try to break our democracy for his political gain. And it's uh, undemocratic, it's un-American, and it's disgusting. He's willing during a pandemic to risk all of our lives to stay in political power. Uh, and that's something that um, I, I thought I would never see in the United States. And I, I think we have to fight against these undemocratic tendencies. One of the things and, and lies that he's peddling is that if a, a ballot or a, a vote isn't tallied on election night, it's not valid. But to be very clear, election night results are never official. So federal law actually enables uh, overseas and military voters to send in their ballots up to eight days after election day. Election night results are never done, uh, are never official. So I, I think as a nation, we have to push back against what the president is saying because it's a lie and media can help with that. For all the work Griswold has done to secure Colorado's vote and help other states to do the same, her actions have not been without controversy. The sorts of comments you've just heard about Donald Trump have led some critics to accuse her of politicizing the vote. But even if Griswold is testing bipartisan harmony in her home state, she says she'd criticize any president, Democrat or Republican, who is acting undemocratically. Now, let's get caught up on some of the other voting concerns. To do that, I spoke with Politico campaign reporter Zach Montalaro. I'm Zach Montalaro, and I'm a campaign reporter here at Politico. Maybe I will start with an easy question, uh, if there is such a thing in this election. We've spoken to Jenna Griswold, who ran a case against the U.S. Postal Service for sending out misleading information to the voters of Colorado. The president has been telling his supporters not to, to trust them and the system of mail voting. What do you think the state of play is with this U.S. postal system? Yeah, Jesus. So if that's the easy question, um, I, I think this is two separate issues, probably. The first is the USPS itself. Earlier this year, um, a man named Louis DeJoy was appointed Postmaster General. He was not formally appointed by President Trump. He was appointed by the Board of Governors, a uh, longtime GOP donor. Uh, and he came in and he immediately instituted some operational changes, which led to a slowdown of mail. And it came at a time with a lot of attention on mail voting. By and large, the USPS has said, we are super confident in our ability to deliver election mail. Uh, I think to an extent you take them at their word for that. Uh, a thing they bring up a lot is that even if every single American voted by mail, which every single American absolutely will not, and every single American mailed their ballot on the same day, which they absolutely will not be doing, that's still only a small percentage of that day's mail, let alone that year's mail. So the concern with the USPS is not that they can't handle all this mail. It's will it be delayed by some of the other changes that are affecting all mail and will, you know, some more in the weed stuff, like will it be treated with priority? The second part of this is, you know, the actual process of voting by mail. Uh, in the U.S., we basically have 51 different election systems, one for every state and the District of Columbia. And every state is going to be handling the election differently. And that's where we kind of get into the intricacies and some of the problems, frankly, with mail voting. The, the biggest problem is the president's continued attempts to undermine confidence in it 
And the other part of it is just like every state is handling this differently. On the back end, processing them will take a lot more time. It takes a lot more time to process mail ballots than it does to process people, you know, pulling the lever in person too. And there are different systems yeah. for when you can begin processing the ballots. So yeah. for a lot of the listeners uh, who are not American for this podcast, they maybe won't realize that some states won't even let the opening mm-hmm. of envelopes occur until all voting has ended, whereas others will begin a week before voting yeah. has ended. And it means the results will come in on a completely different time schedule, depending on the state that we're talking about. Totally sporadic. Yeah, I have a tendency to ramble about this, but look at a state like Florida, uh, Florida has a long, long, long pre-processing window. Those election officials will be able to handle the mail ballot even with even with the increased uh, amount we're expecting because they have such a long time to do it. And look at really the three most critical states in this election, uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan. At best, they have a, a day of processing. That's Michigan can start processing uh, a little bit ahead of election day. A lot of these can't really touch their ballots until... Election Day, which is a huge problem. Now, because this is 2020, there were more angles to mail voting than I ever realized. (laughs) And I had started to understand a few months back that Republicans uh, had bought into the president's rhetoric and didn't really trust the Postal Service element of mail voting. But they were quite okay with the idea of these secure drop boxes where you can personally hand your mail ballot back at a county registrar's office, for example. And to segue into all the dozens of court cases that we're now seeing around the 2020 election, it seems a lot of them revolve around the use of these secure drop boxes. What do you think is the trend line in those cases? Yeah, I mean, it's really state by state. That's what makes a federalized or a lack of a federalized system so challenging is that some states will have a widely adapted system that's got a lot of drop boxes that everyone can use. And some states, say Texas, uh, will have at this current juncture, and this could very well change because of court cases, counties have one place that you can drop it off. And a county can be a, a massive city like most of Houston. There's some counties in Texas that are larger than other states. So it, it's a one-size-fits-all policy that doesn't necessarily fit. Uh, Pennsylvania, we've seen battles over drop boxes. Ohio, we've seen battles over drop boxes. It's really that every part of this system, every part of a mail-in system will be litigated by somebody at some point. Uh, right now, it's drop boxes. It'll be, uh, we've saw a lot of litigation over when ballots are actually due. It'll be litigation over signatures. It, it, this is, will be the most litigious American election probably of all time, even before we get to election day. And there's also that possibility that come November 3rd, following the election, there's more litigation as well. So this is 2000 on steroids in a way, where we're going to yeah. probably see multiple Floridas if there's not a clear cut result on the election night. I had a Republican conservative lawyer tell me at one point that he thinks that there's a possibility of Bush v. Gore, that 2000 election case, in 14 different states. So, ooh, wow, buckle up. <laughs> You've got a busy November ahead of you. Uh, I got a busy November, yeah. Now, one last trend line, let's say, that uh, I think would be concerning to a lot of people watching this because they, they hold America up as a kind of standard or role model for democracy. And it's concerning to a lot of people when they see voter intimidation tactics. You know, there's back and forth about what counts as voter suppression and what is sort of merely upholding of the rules and making sure that you're stopping fraud. And we've seen groups of people essentially appear at polling places and create a disturbance. Is that something you're seeing in a lot of states? Do you think that is really going to 
influence people or maybe even stir them up to want to vote more in some cases. Yeah, so I want to start off from the bat by saying we really haven't seen a lot of this. It was a very prominent case at an early voting site in Virginia that some Trump supporters were uh, rallying, protesting your choice of words around a polling place. Nobody was stopped from voting, but that I think is the most prominent one that's happened so far. And all the voting right groups that I talk to fairly regularly say that this is a concern. Of course, this is a concern, especially with President Trump kind of using militant language to recruit people, you know, calling to an army, calling to them to enlist. But they also don't want to overstate it because a lot of the intention with these or a lot of the results with even conversations around voter suppression is just merely talking about it will discourage people from voting. You know, it's not to say that voter intimidation at the polling places has never happened in America. It is absolutely happened in this country. And it's really bad when it happens too. But the voting right groups that I talk to say that we don't want to overstate this. We don't want to scare people away. And there's laws restraining this that like they have lawyers ready to go if, if voters feel intimidated. And there is a legitimate purpose to uh, to poll watching as well, too. I don't want to cast the entire effort as illegitimate. The thing that people talk to me a lot is like, will we know when will we know the winner? Is your take that we're probably waiting several days for a result? Yeah. So I think, I mean, I guess if we're talking to you fine folks in Europe, you're already going to go to bed without knowing the winner. So congratulations. But in America, that's unusual for us. Um, normally, by and large, Americans go to sleep on November 3rd. It may be a very late night, but you know who the president is. At worst, you know it November 4th. Um, there's the very real possibility, if not the likelihood, that we won't know that this year because of what I mentioned earlier. The concern this year that if everybody, if everyone handled this with a level head, no one would be super concerned about it. It's that right now the concern among voting rights groups, election administrators, congressional Democrats, you name it, everyone more or less except for Donald Trump himself is concerned that Trump might tried to declare victory based off partial or inconclusive results. That's a real concern. That being said, I just had a story out that Biden has a fairly slim path, but he has it nevertheless of actually locking up 270 electoral votes. That's the magic number to become the president on election night. That's entirely possible. Uh, Donald Trump really doesn't have that path. It remains to be seen. My advice to everyone would be have patience. Assume we're not going to know the winner immediately. And that's okay. It's not a sign of fraud. It's not a sign that something went wrong. It's just a sign it takes some time to count some votes. I guess the main reason why Trump won't be able to say he's the winner on election night is he really needs Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. And they're the three states that we're almost certain won't be able to declare on election night. Yeah. So those three states, basically, if Donald Trump does exactly what he did in 2016, which is tough to see because there's some states that have definitely slipped away from him. But if he does exactly what he did in 2016 and you subtract those three states, he's at 260 electoral votes, 10 short. The only way that it's even plausible on election night is flipping Minnesota, a state that Hillary Clinton carried in 2016 that they have said was competitive and it doesn't really look all that competitive. So Trump can't win without at least one of those three states, all three of which will likely, if not assuredly, you know, not be called on election night. Joe Biden uh, even though he leads in those states and is right now the favorite to win, to be clear, it doesn't really matter when you win when it comes to actually being inaugurated. He's the favorite to win, but maybe he won't hit it on election night because those three states are a big pot for him right now that would go to his electoral vote. But he has a couple of paths, all of which really run flu Florida. Yeah, unless he pulls off an upset in Texas. That's true. You know, It's always it, possible. This conversation is entirely moot. My entire <laughs> six months of work. If Joe Biden blows everyone out of the water, I've spent the last six months <laughs> warning about don't know the results of election night and getting all in the weeds about ballot processing. If Joe Biden somehow wins Florida, I wasted six months of my life. So that is that is true. Never. Your, your brain is <laughs> never wasted, Zach. We appreciate every minute of it. Thanks, Ryan. 
While problems with this election are more prevalent than in recent history, some argue that voting problems begin long before election days. Take Muscogee County, Georgia. That's the home county of my husband, Zach, and it's on the border with Alabama. If you live there and you don't already have a passport or work for the military or a government, to get an approved voter ID, you will need to go to the Department of Driver Services. But if you don't have a car, well, good luck. It's a four-hour walk from the center of town to get to that department. The closest bus will drop you 35 minutes walk away. Now, in theory, there is a county registrar's office that can issue an alternate ID. But there's no information about how you do that on the registrar's website. And then, if you do get your ID, you might face those 10-hour lines. 10 hours to vote in person, as some Georgians did on Monday. In other words, the voting issues run deep. They're not going to end on election day, or whenever the final results are announced. That leaves broader conversations about American democracy to be continued. And that's it for this episode of Campaign Confidential. Remember, you can always send us feedback. Send it to podcast at politico.eu. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your episodes. The regular EU Confidential crew will be back on Thursday. And another episode of Campaign Confidential is coming your way next Tuesday. Until then, I'm Ryan Heath in New York. And thanks to our producer, Christina Gonzalez in Brussels. Bye for now. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.